Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today, Antonio and I are joined by Maria Gabriela Damiani, who's a technical advisor to the president at the CVM. In this conversation, we dive into the CVM's approach to regulating digital assets and talk about how Brazil's regulatory approach to crypto differs from other countries. All right. So we are here with Maria Gabriela of the CVM. Thank you so much for being here, Maria Gabriela. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I do work at the CVM, but I should note that I do not speak on behalf of the CVM. It's just this disclaimer that has always to be put out. And in all seriousness, I do not. But yeah, I work at the CVM currently. Hi. But your opinions are not those necessarily of the CVM. No, definitely cetera, not. Okay. Definitely not. And in fact, in regards to what I do, I'm a legal counsel to the president, so my opinions are addressed to him, so that he can have he can have his own. So I definitely, my opinions, in no matters, definitely do not stay for the CVMs. Not only in the disclaimer sense, but actually, I'm just a legal counsel. Okay, so now that we have sort of the obligatory disclaimers out of the way, um, let's dive into a bit more of who you are and what you do with the CVM, and kind of an introduction to yourself. Uh, your professional background, how you wound up working at the CVM. Yeah, yeah, that's a funny story. Uh, one day I got a call from the legal manager of the local exchange for which I had worked previously. And she said, I, well, I'm in need of a nomination for a legal counsel to the president. Would you like to be nominated? So, you know, literally that's how I got there. But I guess that says a lot because that in with that, I say that I do have this background working for broker dealers in Brazil on the regulatory side. Previously to the work in CVM, immediately before I did work for this broker dealer who's strong in crypto. So I was responsible for addressing regulatory issues and preventing any uh, miscompliances, just to guarantee it was all straight there. And yeah, I have worked for the local exchange also. And that's how I got there because the president needs someone who has he, he does value innovation. He does see it as an important issue. So he wanted to have someone on his side who could have, give him some insights on that and also local exchange deals and everything. So Great, great. So well, maybe let's take a quick step back and maybe just talk kind of from a high level about just what the CVM is, uh, what you guys do. Um, I'm assuming most people probably have a general idea, but maybe just cut, let's get your perspective on what you guys do. And then maybe we can dive into a bit more of like, what is your day-to-day -day role uh, advising the president uh, actually look like? Okay, so yes, it's the local SEC. So it's called Comissão dos Valores Mobiliários. If foreigners are watching us, it basically does everything the SEC does. And also in the case of the US, the CFTC, because it also uh, overviews derivatives and commodities likewise. Uh, and the president himself, he has, he has this institutional agenda in which he has to present himself, himself and be represented at CVM before international organizations such as Yosco, OECD. So that's part of the role. Also, he judges cases. So he decides controversies, say, insider trading, um, other things relating to corporate day-to-day -day issues. He decides that in a board. So he's the chairman of a board. And we do help him write his judgments and also make general decisions about how the CVM should enforce or not enforce 
in non-sanctioning measures. So it's pretty much like everything the SEC does in the U.S. a bit more, uh, and he's the chairman. So I'm going to go closer to him. Got it. Got it. And then um, maybe we can maybe just kind of give a bit of overview of like what the CVM stance on crypto assets has been. Um, and obviously, uh, President uh, Joao Pedro Nascimento, he he assumed his term, I think, maybe beginning, I think it was about last summer, uh, last like July, yes. if I'm not mistaken, yes. around that. And he came year. in and yeah, it's been a little bit over a year and he came in and he took a very kind of proactive approach, like he believes in, you know, the technology and digital assets, blockchain, all this. And he's he's taken some measures to really try to give some guidance and been really open to meeting with with the industry and trying to be supportive of the industry. Um, but we just love to get, you know, hear from you straight. Like, how do you, how would you describe, uh, the current CVM's, uh, uh, views toward crypto assets and maybe how does that compare to maybe what we're seeing in yeah. the U S and Europe? Yeah. Well, in what concerns the CVM, I don't see we or them as being pro nor con crypto in general, but I do see a change in posture in what regards just seeing an issue, seeing a challenge and facing it and just admitting that this could not no longer go um, unaddressed. So that's kind of the point of view here, trying to understand the issues. Where does that connect with the securities regulation and try to just make it as clear as possible that securities securities regulation are still in place. So whenever that applies, that applies. And what is different here or similar in relation to the US and the European Union is that we do see as legal professionals that in Europe, they're more into adapting regulation and trying to fit it and not banish it. Banishing it has not been an approach for the European Union, which I think is more mature. Uh, And in what concerns the US, we've been seeing an enforcement regulation, like regulation by enforcement kind of thing. We do have some very notable cases say the sec uh has been taking actions and not that cvm does not have it does also have have power if it intends to and it does not waver its power but it has been far more comprehensive like far more understanding i mean of the general landscapes as not to not to kill it uh, at its origin. Yeah, we saw we saw João Pedro uh, talking about it the other day, saying that crypto isn't a threat. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's refreshing to see a regulator looking at crypto that way, like looking at okay, there's some there is some innovation here. What's the best way to to bring this to public? Um, I think the I would like to bridge this here or. Um, the, the CVM has been working quite diligently on crypto for a while now. More recently, the mandate has been established of like looking into crypto, um, tokenizing everything. Um, how does how does the the crypto law that came in effect last this year actually um, been taken by you guys? Is this helping you um, establish establish your uh, area of um, of of um, acting in in enforcing law and and so on. How is um, how do you guys have been seeing the the impact of this for you? Um, and of course, there is 
this demand for making that happen and then the resources. We just discussed it uh, the other day uh, when we were recording the roundup for the, the Brazil crypto report that the, the Lyft lab was being uh, suspended for some time, uh, postponing the pilot program for the, the real digital. So we know that there is this demands coming and then there's the resources. Um, how have you guys been, uh, well, working with this new law and being able to handle all the demand there? Good, that's a great question because yes, the CVM is uh, in need of new hands and we've been working on a public tender, which is very, it's definitely a priority so we can address all new issues that need our attention. So that's one thing. But in this context, I do think that law 14478 of 2022, it's been helpful because there was, I think I, I knew you before that already, Antonio, and there was a lot of confusion in regarding like, okay, but what is the CVM actually going to do? Like, what is in your play? What is not? So it really cleared out that the CVM is still responsible for everything securities. Uh, when I first got to the CVM, my, my first, one of my first tasks there was to work as a writer at a guidance. Uh, we call it guidance 40 of 2022. And it basically says like, guys, let's gather up everything we have crypto wise and just give it straight to you in one paper. That's what we've done. And this has been a, you know, step-by-step -step effort to just clean it out, just to say, let's not have any confusion because there's a lot of words that that's, there's a lot of buzz going out and we cannot properly work if we don't have a clear line here. So what this law in what regards the jurisdiction of the CVM did was to clearly state that we're still in charge in everything security. And like, okay, Gabi, but is Bitcoin a security? And how do I accommodate that? Should I see what the SEC is doing and then take this maximalist approach and just give it to Brazil? Not really. Not really. Here we do have this Howie test and we do uh, interpret the Howey tasks a bit differently than the U.S. has been doing. So you should really how how would can we can we maybe double click on that because I think that's definitely something of of interest to to our listeners. And you know the Howey test is one of like I like to joke that like everybody in crypto, anybody who's been in crypto for more than like a year is like a fully qualified uh, like securities law paralegal. <laughs> You know, definitely like, if you know that like, one thing because like, it's so repeated, like, right? I could like recite the Howie test, like it's you know, like it, you know, it's like the, out the back of my hand, whatever. Um, and maybe it would be interesting just to hear how, 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 do, how does the CVM in Brazil like interpret the Howie test, you know, slightly differently, perhaps, good than, yes. than in the US. And I think, you know, particularly on kind of the, the, the really sticky prongs of the Howie test, which are, uh, you know, how do you define a common enterprise? Um, like, how do you define, like, what is an investment of money, right? All this kind of stuff that, you know, people and crypto lawyers in the US, you know, spend years like dissecting, like what, <laughs> like what they, what these things yeah, actually mean, yeah, but uh, would be interesting to hear, hear uh, how you guys are looking at it. Good. So thinking, taking a very attorney-ish approach, uh, we do have a civil law base here in Brazil, which is different to the common law base in the US. And okay, we know that. So now you're going to lawyer me. No, no, I, I swear to you, it's important. Because in the US, you do a lot, you operate based on press precedents, like on the previous cases you've had to decide on. 
And that's relevant because then your Howie task may or may not adapt concerning the political or the institutional approach to a matter. And we've been seeing, I think it's a common ground here that the SEC has been taking a very proactive approach in enforcing the law. So uh, I don't see the same um, eagerness in the Brazilian side. I do think we are being far more technical here and trying to really understand what is DLT and what does that mean? And what, what about common law, civil law? What is the impact? Well, in Brazil, we do have this law, which is law 6385 of 76, and it states the, the Howey test. It's actual like an article-ish thing. So you can't just overrun it. You can just say, okay, but I don't really think. I'll, I'll just have an adaptation here. Now, in this case, in this scenario, I'd just like to be more, more raw here. No, you can't be tougher. You can't be exceeding exactly what is in there. And there's one thing there that's very interesting. It's been designed to focus and, and to target opportunities in which you have, you have, as you said, you're taking risk from an enterprise. And then you have some sort of remuneration. You, you have some sort of payment arising from the risk of that activity and that there must be an activity. There must be an active participant. So if you don't have, say, um, monthly installments, then like if you're just buying it because you think it's going to go up and it's purely speculative. Here in Brazil, we do have this tendency to see it as not being a security. Not that it's written in stone. Each case must be addressed and like entrepreneurs should really consult with lawyers. Uh, and that's a disclaimer here. But yeah, I do think that we are safer than the US in this regard. So maybe kind of double click on that one more time here. Um, cause I just, I just think this is really quite interesting as a, as a non-lawyer, but as someone who's just sort of been immersed in these things for a long time. Um, so, but this idea of like a utility, I mean, in the U S we used to word use the word utility token, but it doesn't really, we don't really get used anymore. But this idea that like, okay, it's I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, you know, this is kind of dating back to like the 2017, 2018 ICO years when you could raise, you know, a hundred million dollars by issuing a random token and you know you, you the invest like the person who bought the token wouldn't be promised any equity or even any like cash flow or anything but you have you have some sort of like stake in the network be based on the token's utility and a lot of these things prove to be not really um you know real i guess <laughs> for being just candid about it but but is this idea but that this this token would basically trade as more of like a commodity in the sense that you're basically just kind of speculating on is this thing going to go up or is it going to go down but there's no cash flows attached to it there's no equity attached to it there's nothing that would in, i guess in the traditional sense you know, i mean it, it's you're using it to raise money but it, so that would be it could be considered a security like or has character characteristics of a security in that sense but it doesn't have kind of the financial like it doesn't have like the benefits to the holder that like a traditional security would yeah. i think from a, a practical point of view uh the cvm has been uh working on the consumer facing uh applications of the the technology basically uh so overseeing what's publicly offered um trying to address uh, what's the understanding right now and not like having a um uh, a stifle uh, stifle innovation in the market uh, i think that the office uh, 40 uh, that you mentioned uh maria 
is um, it gives us a, a very good guideline on that, like on how we're looking at this utility uh, and everything. Can you do a double click there on the on the office so we can uh, understand how this has been uh, classified in the market? Yes, guidance 40 basically said, uh, let's take a dive, let's take a look at each project so we can understand what it does, what are the rights and obligations that arise from it. And then from this perspective that it's very specific to the token you're offering, we can see whether or not it has got a internal an internal cash flow, which for our how it has is very important because we are more abide, abide to the law. And then like, okay, once we've seen that, once we've established that, then we're going to treat it, then we're going to regulate it. So it's a, again, in my opinion, it's a far more respectful and technical insight and technological, technologically neutral approach to to the whole crypto environment. It's not just seeing like, oh, okay, it's speculative. Oh, okay, it's trading mechanism-ish. No, no, no. It's not based on fear or concern or enforcing or trying to punish or, you know, break down an industry. We're just trying to actually sit down, understand it and try to accommodate best way we can. And again, going back to law 14478, um, what does that have to do with that? Uh, many of the concerns of the crypto environment and DeFi environment especially uh, are very like the concerns we have in terms of the SEC and securities trading. So we do have issues regarding insider, insider trading. We do have manipulation concerns. We do have market integrity concerns in general and infrastructure. How does that actually work? Uh, okay, so these concerns and risks are very like the concerns we do have in what regards the CVM? So why is not the C why is the CVM not responsible for Bitcoin, for instance? Because it's likely not going to be. As we see it nowadays, most jurists, most lawyers are giving out opinions in which they say the CVM is not going to manage that. It's going to be under the jurisdiction of the central bank. Why? That's a legislative choice, definitely. So that's the trick here. And that's the main difference in what regards the US and Brazil. In the US, you're in a ma maximalist approach. In Brazil, we are like very technical and we're just like, as you said, we're drawing the lines. Like, do you have an internal cash flow? Do you have an equity-like mechanism? No, okay, take a look at it. May not be here. Yeah, this, this is a, a good approach. It allows for the innovation to happen. And just going back on the, uh, the recent law, um, that you get the number by heart. I don't remember the, the number of it ever. Um, it's an attorney thing. You should like, <laughs> know by heart. It's an attorney thing. And also wear like very tight shirts and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, just, you know, getting back on that. Um, what And looking forward, of course, because we're, we're expected to have the guidance and the norms um, going forward. And the, the law at the time, it didn't cover uh, asset segregation, custody of assets, um, all of that. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, like how are you looking ahead? What norms we the market should expect? Um, again, we as, as we mentioned here, um, some of it has been now read uh, uh, made public as the guidance 40 uh, some others uh, have been known for the market but like looking looking at this let's say going from 
looking at the the investor or, or the the customer and now looking at um, potential market participants how they should be looking at the market what uh, what should they do to ensure compliance with, with the CVM? Also looking at, again, looking at right now and looking forward uh, when we have these uh, guidances and norms. Uh, one thing I, I will note, and that's my, my headline here is, you, Antonio, you're an expert at crypto in Brazil. You're like one of the most experienced people I know. And you do not know if it's a consumer or an investor. And you did not know how to frame your question to an attorney. You went on to your legal counsel in place and you said like, customer, or, I don't know either. I'm sorry. I'm, and I, I'm not so knowledge at this. And I don't know either. And that's the point here. In what concerns asset segregation, I guess our main point is not your keys, not your coins. And that's the concern here. So in what concerns staking and other leverage mechanisms, is that allowed? Well so far yes, it's, it is. it's so open for discussion right yes at, at this moment so what are the no... roles of the of each of each participant of the network i think yeah. that's uh what we will boil down to discuss like yeah is it what? a broker dealer is it an exchange uh is it the same is there a conflict of interest in a one company uh, doing both roles so i guess it's one thing like is it a consumer isn't an investor, can it take the risk? Uh, if you are my exchange, can I tell you, okay, keep my keys, do whatever you want, just give me some stake. I don't know, I don't wanna know. That's one, that's definitely one activity. But on the other hand, if I tell you, no, 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 I need a safe keep. I just need to store my, my keys there and I just need a custodian services, then I need another activity completely. And in Brazil, neither has been obligatory nor prohibited so you can i assume giving you inform your client I'm, I'm saying that okay as a general principle giving you inform your client you could build a, a business line in which you do not have asset segregation and then is it a consumer because in brazil we do have a very very strict norms in what regards regards consumer protection it's a fair concern of us so what do we do then like if I go into litigation, I present myself as say, I'm a 80 year old woman. My name is Dona Sonia. And I go to the judiciary and I say, oh, I lost my keys. I've had a hacking. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I'm just very confused. Am I a consumer? And should they segregate my assets? Is it okay that they, le they leverage on it? What is the level here? Uh, what is the play field? And the law has established, well, you can have an operation in which there's no asset segregation, which I think is discussable. Like, in, yeah. it's not, there's no right or wrong. Yeah, here. I agree. It's just I think, like I what think we it's, want. Yeah, exactly. When we look at the current financial model, uh, you can basically leverage every bank deposit, right? Yes. So, so. All it's literally how when... it works, like the financial system. Yeah. And what are we going to yeah, exactly. do? Exactly. And that's exactly, that's why your question was the most brilliant. Because again, is it a bank? Is it, I don't know, just fund managing and just like, I don't know. What it's are you actually doing? Executing the, the, 
the, the contracts between yes. is it tech like i'm just a custodial then it's just a tech service or not like oh no i'm just actually managing your keys and your money and then i'm a manager like what what are you actually doing and i guess that needs to be addressed there's there's no prohibition which i think is can be seen as good but again there should be transparency and there's this question regarding whether the central bank could constitutionally whether it could uh, by regulation and not by law, impose segregation. And that has been in discussion, like lawyers also don't know. So I don't know if it's a consumer or investor. And unfortunately, I also don't know whether the, the central bank can, has the power to the actual authority constitutionally to say that there must be segregation here onwards. Or yeah. if, no, no, Antonio, it's not on the law, so it's not going to be a thing. I don't know, it's been debated. Yeah. I think we need to have yeah, a whole sure. episode on this one topic. <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely like controversial enough to to have so, have a good spicy debate on this. I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, but, I think so, I think my opinion. I mean, just to add my two cents on, in on. here. I mean, I've I've been looking at this uh, from kind of from the view of like I've been following what's happened with the Prime Trust in the U.S., where it was this you know regulated quote unquote custodian out of Nevada. It was, and they were. They were basically they're basically just like totally mismanaged customer funds, even though they were presented themselves as being this like regulated, trustworthy, uh, you know, next level up custodian. And then this week we actually found out or last week we found out that they had taken customer funds and they were investing in like 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 Luna, like UST stablecoin. Wow. Like <laughs> and the, but the funny thing is that a lot of their customers were these like Bitcoin maximalist guys, like Swan Bitcoin was using them. So like you had all these these like hardcore Bitcoin maximalists buying Bitcoin on Swan, custodying with Prime. Prime Trust is taking those funds and going out and like investing in like, like UST Terra. And you're like, oh my gosh, okay. Like, and, and now this thing has just totally been wound down and, and it's in receivership in the state of Nevada. And it's it's like, looks like a total disaster, unfortunately. But I think, I mean, I mean the point, I, the reason I bring all that up is that even if you have segregation like segregation of assets is not going to be this like magical elixir that protects everything because like okay i have my assets segregated i had the assets with prime trust <laughs> like look like what they go and do with all the money right so i don't know it, it just feels like crypto custody right now and even if you just look at what's happened with some of these more retail platforms like like ledger and you know some of the controversies that have been surrounding that over the summer with um with with this kind of this whole this this recovery key feature they're trying to add um, it just feels like the crypto custody world is very like, you know, there's some good players out there, but there's some, there's some weird stuff out there as well. That's like, frankly, we should have figured out now, but our, it doesn't appear to be. Um, so I, I think my point on this whole asset segregation debate is like, I don't, I don't think this is like an elixir, like magical solution to all of our consumer investor protection issues. Um, there's a whole like new basket of risks that arise when you introduce like another third party. Um, anyway, we probably need to have a whole episode just on this topic. Yeah, and this is something evolving, right? It's uh, well, the when we talk about market infrastructure, if we and if we can dive into that uh, for a bit, um, what we're seeing in crypto or using blockchain technology is that the replication uh, or rec. Uh, Re, uh, replication basically yeah uh, from the traditional markets into crypto so we are seeing the same structures here um, the thing is when we talk about let's say some efficiencies of the market when we discuss a crypto exchange where you have settlement like uh, 
settlement clearing and trading in the same environment. Uh, while in Brazil, we have everything separated. So you have a clearing house, you have uh, the trading order book, uh, uh, OTC uh, place, and you have the settlement and so on. So the, the, the technology in itself allows for a lot of um, market efficiencies that could be achieved through this, right? But the thing is, um, how do you keep this to, to be efficient in the sense of, um, of uh, processes, but also in trading, right? Because we have uh, crypto as a trading market is enormous in Brazil. We have 10 million people that have decided to join crypto and that they are, a lot of them are in for um, it, it's asset speculation because they believe a meme coin will pump 200x overnight. Um, people are in for a store of value and so on. But the assets in itself, they're traded a lot. Be it, be it for uh, exchanging BRL for USD or for another crypto asset. So I think that, and we talked about this before, uh, Maria, uh, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the take for the market infrastructure? How, how the, the market can innovate there? Because right, right now, we, of course, we see a, there's a, an infrastructure in place, but we are to have a de delivery versus payment settlement layer with the central bank. So when we look at all these, whole, these things, um, what could be done like sandbox innovation, um, the market in itself, um, how could this be explored to let's say, bring the structure, the current market infrastructure to uh, blockchain-based or DLT-based um, securities or capital markets, let's say. I love this question because it's my favorite subject on this. Uh, I, you know, what really fills, fills my heart in crypto is this particular discussion. That's the reason why I wanted to step into crypto because I've always been enthusiastic about market infrastructures ever since I, I, I had only graduated. I think I did this, uh, you know, when you do a thesis for your bachelor work, it was about market infrastructure. And so uh, it's really a thing for me. That being said, we could dive real, real, real deep on that. But I guess we can cover some points you brought us and just try to go from there and give a general overview. Uh, the thing here is DeFi does not talk with TreadFi in what concerns market infrastructure that is very clear. So we do have roles in the TreadFi environment that are very bound to the idea of like electronic bounds, electronic titles, just like your securities to be a paper or an electronic receipt, but it's not on blockchain. And when you get that to be on blockchain, then it changes completely because say you anyone could audit the whole chain anytime so do i really need the same roles there as i would in the traditional markets framework that's the main question here what could i take out what do i still need and what needs to be segregated trying to mitigate conflicts of interest and what could go along together and that's the question uh, Yosco... I think that fits very Yeah, that's what I was going to mention, the Yosco uh, standards, right? Yes, Yosco principles do have a very 
emphatic take on this because it's a concern in what regards uh, investor protection. Because if you are the broker dealer and you also manage the OTC, like you're managing the over-the-counter environment and you're also the broker dealer, then you could uh, give get yourself in between clients and just, you know, and is that wrong? Maybe yes, maybe no, it does have implications. It should be studied in what, especially in what regards competition, because it could be overall good for the market, but not really. Most people say it's not. So like, yeah, I will, how? I'll give a, yeah, I will give an opinion here. For me, uh, it's important that it's fair. And by fair, I mean that the customer or investor doesn't feel robbed because they spread the they spread the the bid ask collection there in the middle this is a this is a very common thing in the market you know you work for a fee and so on but like you can just um get a big chunk of the of that and like paste it on the retail user uh, we've been seeing uh, as we mentioned here a history of People in Brazil being afraid of investing, of like only going for savings account. And in crypto, they've saw a place that, okay, this looks fairer. You know, like this looks like a place where I can put in a hundred highs and maybe make a 200 X. So it's uh, at the same time, of course, this is uh, on DeFi, right? Not uh, on the regulated market, but that's what brings people to it. And so it's a, it's an interesting topic to, Yes, definitely. Transparency is a thing here, but and yes, definitely. And also, like, there's there's been this letter, this official letter, uh, official letter number four. Uh, I've been I've actively participated on the writing of it. Also, that talks about fixed income tokens. I guess you you're yeah. more with that. So yeah, again, in what regards that? The, uh, just to give it a panorama, general overview for those who are not, uh, yeah don't actually don't have yet been exposed to the discussion there had been several offers from fixed income co tokens and they just did it they didn't actually consider it to be a security because they were operating in, in sort of a gray zone and they just put it out on the streets and they just okay i guess it's gonna be okay they some of them got legal opinions backing them but most of them just like took leverage on this gray zone idea uh, regarding securities regulation. And then the CVM stepped out and said, well, be more careful. You should really take a look into that because it may look a lot like securitization. And then like it actually, it, it could be a security. So really, and then the, the main concern here is infrastructure because it's not just like today, the infrastructure we do have at the local exchange is robust. And it is expensive. So for those for this market sector, especially, you do have like you you probably market wise, money wise, you probably cannot conciliate following the regular infrastructure and put it putting it out on the streets. So either you're gonna be a product, either there's gonna be a product or there's gonna be compliance with the whole infrastructure setting of things because and there's a huge problem here in brazil today with what we call access to the market which is emission like offerings that go on a low, lower volume in terms of the amounts that are being negotiated and you know so like how do i put out an emission an offering that is like 50 million highs 
because it's too low yeah. for the local exchange, but it's too high for it not to be regulated. So how do I manage it? And it's yeah. a huge concern. And, and we did. Yeah. And you you mentioned Drex, right? You just mentioned how digital, and what it, it's trying to do is establish a DVT mechanism, DVP, sorry, DVP mechanism that is backed by the central bank itself, so that you could uh, have liquidation compensation of transactions directly backed by the central bank. So I give you money, you give me your car, and I do not have to hold your car keys, and I do not have to wait for you to transfer me the car so I can transfer you the money. No, it's saying atomic-like transaction. So that could help. If that were to be established, we could think about a this whole set of tokenized assets, tokenized financial assets, and that could open like really open the door for this kind of access to market, not depending on the current TradFi infrastructure that we know to be so expensive. Yeah, but again, how to... Yeah, piggybacking on that, um, uh, Aaron, do you, do you have any uh, points on Well, yeah, I, I, I wanted to chime in really quick here, just in the sense that uh, with these fixed income tokens, uh, there's been a lot of I think I think you're right, Maria Gabriela, in the sense that some some of these issuers they just started issuing them without necessarily. I mean, they, you get a legal opinion, and I mean, it's kind of like you know, kind of like ICOs in 2017. You just get a letter from a law firm saying it's okay, and then all right, let's do it. Um, and then uh, the CVM kind of came and put the brakes on a little bit, said, "Hey, we, we should look at this a bit more." Um, and I think some of the some of the the token issuers uh, themselves were maybe a little bit surprised by. Uh, by the you know maybe not like a backlash might be too harsh of a word but the fact that that the CVM put you know kind of put the brakes on this whole thing essentially and uh, especially given you know some of the public statements from like Joao Pedro Nascimento about how he's pro innovation and believes in the technology it's like wait if you believe in this then why are you telling us we can't do it or you know why are you putting rules on us right um, I, I mean. I would like to maybe get from here from you, maybe how has this um, dialogue yeah, yeah. internally maybe been about like, how do we, you know, how, how do we kind of balance all this stuff out? Like we, we want to promote the innovation, but it's like, if it, if it looks like security and it walks like security, it's probably security. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on that regard, I must say, João was like, he was really he, he did not sign this letter. It was made by an internal superintendency, which deals with securitization. And when he came to him, he was like really concerned exactly by this point because he felt like, like oh, it's okay to address things, but we should really provide an environment that is pro-innovation if it's helpful for Brazil. And he still, he stands to that to this day and he, did have meetings with the whole industry he personally took like the role of speaking to people and and saying very sensitive he, he's very sensitive to this issue so i i can attest to that that he, he personally believes that truly that innovation can transform our country and lead us forward so that was never 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 the intention and to this day uh, i do think that the cvm's position hasn't been to enforce this letter against anyone. So we've been comforting people. We, again, I don't speak on behalf of the CVM, but the CVM has been comforting people and trying to say, Interpenews, I see you. You're very welcome to have your activities here in Brazil, but let's just try to cooperate and understand how to find a solution. And maybe here we could have a temporary regime. I don't know. Uh, I'm just speaking from my mouth now, it's out of my hat. Maybe a flexible regime 
uh, maybe a new sandbox initiative. But definitely, again, as you said, Aaron, there there, there must be like we we must find ourselves midway, you know, just try to reach some sort of like conciliation in in in, in between. Well, and I think maybe tying it back to the the broader kind of market structure conversation uh, is a point that I've heard from a few few different folks from the industry here in Brazil, which is that if if you're doing these types of you know tokenized assets and you're basically applying the exact same rules that you would have apply you know if you have to you have to use a securitizer to kind of go through the whole process and and I guess I don't understand the you know the the details of how this all this whole process would work, but but basically, if you apply the exact same rules, hold it, hold these people to the exact same standards that you would to any other type of issuance, um, it basically just negates all the benefits of even using a blockchain DLT solution in the first place. And it's kind of like, well, what's what's even the point of even you know exploring this innovation if if it's like there's no cost benefits or efficiency gains or anything from from doing it? Um, like, well, then what's what's the point? And you know, maybe it's okay. That's that's a fair point. On the other hand, you could argue it's like, well, just because you're using a new technology doesn't mean you're like exempt from the rules, right? Like the rules should apply to everybody. Um, so, yeah. I mean, uh, sorry. Yeah, I think, yeah. Just uh, piggybacking on that, and then circling back, circling back to what uh, Maria was saying. Um, I think this uh, we saw. I, I like this example very much. Uh, the SMU case where they started as a crowdfunding uh, platform. They started developing what they wanted to do. Uh, and then at the sandbox, they got approved for a OTC license and an issuer license, meaning that they could be primary issuers of, uh, of companies that wanted to sell equity or debt um, against their equity as well. Uh, and then allow for a secondary market on this um it's stocks let's say so um this i think this the my my whole point with this is um how could you give us a, a, a an overview on the sandbox uh what innovations uh is key for the cvm like again like this infrastructures what is important for giving stakeholders power for example or, or funds management or asset segregation, not in the, in the sense of each user having its account, but um, in, in, the, in entity and things like that, more, more structure to the markets. Yeah, uh, well, the Sandbox, I, I do think the name is great because Sandbox, you remember, like you instantly, I think of a toddler and it's just like eating sand and you're just like, okay, you should not do that. And, and just like throwing things at other kids and like, just stay on your sandbox, okay? That There's a square here, you're going to stick to it, okay? And that's kind of the idea and uh, what regards, again, regulation, because then you allow certain liberties, but you try to keep it on a scope. You try to say, okay, you can try out your business, but do keep closer to us. Do you have a close knot into supervision and reach a certain amount of people? You, you have a limit to your operation, so you just don't bust. And that's the general idea of the sandbox. And I do think it's brilliant, but it has a downside. On one hand, Aaron, you just said, oh, we need to meet in between. We need to, to make the LT useful. 
there there has been this this panel in which I I was invited to speak at, and I just kept saying like DLT for what, DLT for what, what are we using, actually applying DLT to do, and that's a concern. You you really should understand the technology and understand what is no longer necessary, and that's exactly what a sandbox is trying to do. It is trying to say, okay, I see this very erratic toddler. It's throwing tantrums. I don't see. I can't quite understand what it's doing, but let it come closer to me. Let me watch it. Let me understand it. And then let me try to regulate it in a way that's suitable for the business. So that's like notable. That's good. But yeah. on the other hand, I mean, it's still very limited. How many projects do we have there? And there are several, several segments on the crypto industry in Brazil, which are not attended by it, say fixed incomes, for instance, like we do have brilliant players who were really trying to put things that were relevant, that were serious out on the streets and they just couldn't find a place at the sandbox. And I assure you, I know entrepreneurs who very much wanted to be there and serious people, good people who just can't, because again, we are short on people, we have limitations and, and that's kind of the challenge here. Like how do I make many, many, many sandboxes and how many can I overview actually how, how many do have actually have the capacity to overview so well, it's well, a it's, good initiative but it's limited it seems like uh, just kind of a general criticism of sandboxes you know worldwide uh, there's there's a lot of these things that that are run at you know kind of national and, and maybe state levels in some places and it, i think maybe a universal criticism seems to be that okay they're good at maybe getting projects into these sandboxes but then actually getting them out and Turning you know as scaled, scale, scalable businesses that actually have a meaningful, uh, you know, meaningful business operation uh, seems to be sort of the harder part. So it's like, how do you actually grow up out of the sandbox? Yeah, and it's and, not uni projects, right? We're not a uni. It's not like angel investors, Brazil landscape, and actual money and actual people wanting to do things that scale up. So that's a challenge right there. I cannot. I don't. I don't have a solution, but. It's something that we as attorneys, entrepreneurs, as a crypto community, we should really try to work side to side with the CVM. Like if I were to say something, if I were to put out a recommendation, I would just say, don't just gun jump the regulation. Just don't do that. Like I wouldn't ever give someone a legal opinion to say, just like, okay, so you're validated, just go there. Like, cause it's not the best way out. It's not the best. First of all, you're not going to get a very good reputation, okay? The CVM sees you. So first of all, that's one thing. And again, like, how would that put Brazil on a good level playing field, like in what regards to international landscape? Brazil's got to have, if Brazil is to be a good place for crypto, it's got to have serious players who work along the regulation. So yeah. lots of 100%. challenges, especially in what regards infrastructure, but I do think the best way here is to just work along. Well, yeah, I like your call to action in bringing um, the community together to try and build this ecosystem where uh, Web3 businesses or blockchain-based businesses can thrive. Yes, and that is a priority up. for our development. The future is green yeah. and digital, so it, it is a priority for our development here, yes. Yeah, I, I, I saw that the day I went on a, a E-Type Jaguar that would reuse the energy when you break uh, so i was like yeah okay the the, the future is green <laughs> digital oh it's coming too 
<laughs> so Maria Gabriela, maybe to, to kind of wrap things up here, I would love to just maybe get your thoughts on um, like f- for a international company for a non-Brazil based company, whether it be an exchange or whether it be uh, uh, like a token project or whether it be uh, you know, a DeFi project or whether it be the, even just an asset tokenizer, um, maybe interested in some of the activities that's been happening in Brazil on the asset tokenization front. Because I, I would say even even on this, you know, either the fixed income side, fixed income token side, or even just general asset tokenization, I think Brazil has pioneered a lot of pretty interesting use cases, um, and you're seeing a lot of kind of what I, I would argue is like kind of next level use cases beyond just like oh let's use crypto as remittances or let's use crypto as um, you know governance tokens that nobody actually uses to govern; they just use them for speculation. Um, but, but there's some more kind of next level use cases that have emerged here and we're, we're still identifying like the legality and, and, you know, the compliance questions around these, but for, for an international company that that's interested in getting involved here, or is maybe even just looking to better understand how, how does, was the opportunity in Brazil vis-a-vis, you know, the other markets that, that, that people are paying attention to. I mean, the whole, the whole point of this podcast, this platform is to try to bring more exposure to the Brazilian market, right? Versus these other, uh, like North America, Europe, Asia, that everyone pays attention to. Uh, but like, what is the, what, what do you see as the opportunity here? That's, that's, uh, maybe unique compared to some of these other places. Uh, that's a great question. Cause fortunately it's probably the first time Antonio, we get asked something about Brazil. Like, what do you think it's got that's different? And we have a positive outcome to give you. Like first thing, like if you ask me about several other af- aspects of our country, I wouldn't have much uh, of a smile on my face, but I very much can on what regards this question. Uh, and well, for me, the take here is the central bank and the CVM are fairly optimistic and open to innovation. And that's something. In what regards the international landscape today and the whole context today, like it's saying a lot just to say that. And again, our central bank for you, if you're a foreigner and you're watching me right now, let me just give you an idea that the central bank is huge here in Brazil. And it tends to be fairly conservative. And everything that's put out by the central bank tends to go well, tend to succeed. So we did have, say, FedNow here in the US. It's being developed here in Brazil. We do have PIX, which is also an instant solution for payments, direct payments. It's just like leading case globally on instant payments, direct to people to people, instant payments. Like, whoa, when the central bank steps in, we all do get confident because in what regards financial innovation, innovation, tech and finance. I mean, I started this conversation saying that I do study law, tech and finance. And like, it's a great place to be studying law, tech and finance because it's the one thing in which Brazil is on the vanguard is on like first uh, first efforts to advance innovation globally. So that's one thing that I think should be really taken into account and really respecting the Brazilian landscape. That's not like, we're actually doing something very technical here and we do have serious players who know what they're doing. We do have like big banks, big banks in Brazil into that and really thriving to get innovation out. So. That's looking promising. I would take a look at Drax Pilot. I would definitely take a look at tokenization here in Brazil. And I do think we, I 
like to believe that even though we do have lots of people in Brazil like to trade specul speculatively, that's a very hard word for the, for Brazilian, but speculation here in Brazil, betting and, and you know, just like every day trading is something here in Brazil. And I do get that it can be good for business, but I don't think that's our take here. I don't think that's going to really flourish in the next years. I, if I were an entrepreneur, I would be looking more to the Drax pilot and like liquidation through DLT and the more grounded solutions in terms of using DLT for what? For market infrastructure. That's yeah, our take here. I, yeah, if I could add. Uh, Big boys game, document. right? Yeah, exactly. If I could add, there's a document by the central bank uh, called Box 09. It lays out the, the layers of this um, DLT-based economy, let's say. So what we're seeing here is not uh, just front-facing, uh, sorry, retail-facing opportunities, but rather infrastructure ones. Uh, and for those in the front, those that face co customers, um, basically all the rules that we have from traditional finance are, are being applied uh, for crypto with this openness to innovate on top of it. But yeah, I would say that's uh, a market uh, a market infrastructure play here. And then maybe one last question from me here uh, before we wrap up. Uh, we haven't really got into this much in this conversation, but on this this question of, of consumer investor protection and uh, the problem of of pyramid schemes, and there's a whole committee in the, in Congress now right now. It's examining these these financial pyramids, primarily crypto based financial pyramids, but also other pyramids. Um, and, and obviously, the CVM has has been involved with a lot of these things, even dating back to like Atlas Quantum. I think that was what originally kind of caused Atlas Quantum to implode was when <laughs> CVM issued a stop order and then it sort of everything kind of collapsed after that. And maybe, but maybe just talk a bit about, uh, I mean, this is not a subject that could probably be an entire episode, honestly. So we don't need to go super deep, in, deep into it, but getting this question of, of consumer protection and just knowing that Brazil does have a pretty rife history of, of like just weird pyramid, type stuff and even like my cousin actually who who works at a bank like like for 20 years like told me like oh i got like i fell for this like uh this gulpy this crypto uh, crypto pyramid scam and I'm like dude you work at a bank like you're supposed to like know better than this um so it's like this stuff is like pretty pervasive right in ways that don't really make a whole lot of sense and i think a lot of it's just like word of mouth like oh like antonio up the street says that he could make you know 15x per day by investing in this thing or whatever. And I mean, not this Antonio, but the, you know, some other Antonio, but, but you know what I mean? So, so there's, there's really, it seems like there is, there does seem to be a kind of a culture that's, that's really built around this or that promotes this. And there's, there's kind of a lack of financial education in some areas. And then you just have some really savvy people like, you know, uh, like the other Antonio Neto, the Bryce company guy. And then you have, uh, and you have, you know, there's a lot of these people that are pretty savvy about how they promote themselves with this, like, you know, magic internet money. But maybe just talk us through how how the CVM is really approaching these uh, th this issue here. Again, the answer here is positive-ish. I, I do see a, a good-looking future here because uh, look before you leap. Do definitely look before you leap. And 
not that not all deck leaders is gold. So that's not only in what regards crypto, right? And there's this one vote made by Joel, my boss, in which he says that I I, I don't know by heart the name of the co the company, but the message he gives out, and he's written about it also in an article that I've written with him, I co-authored with him. He says that over and over in history, people have been, as you said, um, made fools of, and it's yeah. not like in ra radiation. When radiation first appeared, they saw like chocolate that was. They had radiation on it on the hopes that would cure something and like today we look at it and we're just like okay uh marie curie you, you know she used to sleep with this very small radioactive thing on her neck at, at least it's how it's portrayed on the movie about her like everything that's new draws attention and glitters but it's not necessarily gold and people who are badly intended may take advantage of people who know less but that's a human concern guys it's not about the ot the ot for what the ot certainly not for that and i do think we do have we should have a lot of respect for the ot and no crypto and news are not actually it's not the same thing we do have as i said we do have speculative trading we do have people who try to use it as like a calling for scams but definitely it's it's not about that and again that will happen again okay that will happen with dot that will happen with crypto that will happen with the next thing yeah if i could add <laughs> something again just to close it up yeah and you just mentioned pix uh, i think brazil has so many street smart people that are trying to do gulps or scams that that has pushed the the central bank to come with, come up with the picks, uh, come up with solutions for not transferring money at certain times. And so all of this, let's say, um, smartness that happens in Brazil has also pushed us to bring innovative solutions and so on. So as, as Maria said, it's kind of nat human nature um, but I think if technology is used correctly, um, we can skip some of that. Yeah, and with smart contracts, right, the, the inbuilt technology can really aid us to try to escape it in a way that the TradFi solutions maybe could not. So maybe what we've got on our hands with T is even further secure, even more secure than it would be if we we're just talking about TradFi. So again, is I don't think, I, I'm really cautious not to associate this kind of thing with DLT or crypto, because I think it's really unfair to just get such a potent and powerful solution to just be, you know, thrown out with so much garbage. I don't think it's about, I don't, I don't think there's a saying in Brazil, we say, I don't think it's about that. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm being funny here. Uh, yeah. It's not how it should be addressed here. And the CVM, in my perspective, I do think that the CVM is very much aware that it's not a crypto thing. It's a human thing. And the CVM is addressing financial education hardly. There's this Instagram page, by the way, uh, CVM Educacional. If anyone is interested, they've had a lot of content. They've really been putting out work to produce content to advertise against those kind of things. So we're doing the best we can and we're doing a good job. So 
What what's the best way, uh, Maria Gabriela, for for people for people like just engage with the CEF CVM generally uh, if they've never if they're you know foreign company they've never been in Brazil like what's the best way to engage with either yourself or just the yeah uh, no definitely not myself guys I'm just a legal counsel I'm very internal <laughs> I'm very technical person like I'm not commercial at all and I'm not into the public relations thing. But we do have channels if you go for our website, CVM, our website. Again, I do not speak on behalf of the CVM, okay? But if you go for CVM's uh, website, you do, you'll find channels uh, for investors to reach CVM, but also for companies or anyone in the audience who's interested, needs to clarify a point, needs to get guidance on how regulations apply. The CVM has been very open to have people like, Many, many people I've known in this crypto environment, they often tell me, oh, I have a meeting with your boss. And I'm like, really? Because I don't actually manage his agenda or anything, nor should I. But yeah, he's very open. And the, the whole board of the, we call it Colegiado, they're very open and, you know, technical people. Everybody's really trying to do the best they can with very limited resources to put out the best work, work possible to serve our people. So that's Great. the high mark. Great, great. So we'll include some links to that uh, in the show, uh, in the notes here. And um, well, listen, Maria Gabriela, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you joining us and uh, helping us better understand kind of the inner workings of the CVM. Uh, I learned a lot here today, and uh, I think we have this. You know, we've set the table for some fun uh, future episodes, I guess, on some of these some of these topics. So, uh, really appreciate having you on, and uh, thanks everyone for watching. And we'll be back next time with another great episode. 